in our closing, um, sort of our closing move on um, biblical ownership, this radical idea of Christian stewardship that uh, gets us to, the, to, to focus in on Christian giving. We're talking about God's promises today about Christian giving. And um, I want to preface, I want to, that's a lot of glare. I want to preface my words about Christian giving with a reminder about what this topic is and what it isn't. I'm here today with my family. And I have a family today because there were people that stood up in the body of Christ and said, you can't buy salvation. I'm wearing a tie and not a reverse collar. And you do not call me father or rabbi because you've read the Bible. Your heavenly father is your father. This is true as a believer in Christ teaching God's word because some, some Christians stood up and said, you cannot buy eternal life. You cannot pay for your sins with money. Representing Jesus Christ in our time, one of the biggest obstacles to a, a clear testimony for Christ and the freeness of his work for you is the commercial impulse that drives so many prominent ministries. I'll say that in plainer terms. I've had several minor concussions. It affects my ability to choose my words. I mean, we're not just here because of mere propinquity, right? Come on now. <laughs> there are lots of shysters. That's what I'm trying to say. The gospel has been sold, but it's not the gospel. And it's plagued us so that people that don't know Christ, and now you're in a post-Christian United States, we're post-Christian in our thinking. The, the, the people don't make their decisions based on what God says. They don't think like, well, my life is worship and I belong to God, so what I do, even in the ballot box, is, is worship. They don't, we don't think that. We're post-Christian. We were founded Christian. The, the Christian electorate put this thing together. But we aren't Christian in our thinking today in the culture. And so you... You and I are talking to people that have no idea what this is about. They can turn on TV and hear about money. Money, 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 money. Down south, as I've told you, they pass the plate three or four times before they ever say any prayers. <laughs> in some churches, enough churches that it's a thing, where people that are on the outside come in and they say, um, this Christian stuff is about money. And so we never want to talk about it almost because of that stigma because people think that. It burns me up when an outsider, a non-believer, will say, you people are selling something here. And I've been told that. There are enough Swamp Yankees that'll say uh, rude things to you. I know nobody's here at Swamp Yankee, so I don't mind saying that. It's not like a racial term. Uh, there are enough people that'll just give you a piece of their mind in, in a rude way that, um, that I've heard from several different quarters, oh, you people over there are selling something. And so it's, we're really hypersensitive here. It's a cultural thing, but it's, the, it's, it's not just New England. It's not just Connecticut. It's not just here in the Shire, here in the corner in eastern Connecticut where things are quiet and the traffic is uh, caused by guys cutting trees down. That's the traffic. We'll have to wait for five minutes because the tree cutters. I mean, that's, that's our stress level. 
where we are. But the people are hypersensitive about this dunning people for money. I might have told you about the Chinese uh, a Christian who was evangelized by um, Campus Crusade ministers in the 80s and 90s who saw wealth, opulence in the office, wherever their office was, um, saw computers, PCs on you know, desktop computers and people in ties and, and, and tucked in shirts and Western wealth and science in the office where the missionary working for Campus Crusade brought him and blew his mind. Because his entire concept of Christianity or any religious worker is that a monk is in the street with his hand out begging for money. That's the, that's the thing that is... Now, who, who's the enemy or the villain, I should say, in the gospel accounts? Who's the villain? It's Judas, as far as the disciples, the humans go, the, the betrayer. And what is Judas known for? 30 pieces of silver, right? That it goes hand in. He was the one that kept the money box, and he was trying to uh, um, embezzle money from the from the ministry of our Savior. And you know, like on the sly, like Jesus didn't know, <laughs> trying to sneak stuff past Jesus. We read about that in Acts chapter five last time. I just want to disconnect the stigma of money and giving from the gospel ministry because um, because the Bible teaches us that we give uh, liberally because of our gratitude. And part of the answer to think this through is cause and effect. The effect is already in your hands. One effect is in your hands, what you have. As we talked about last time, you have what you have because God gave it to you. He's the cause. He's the owner and the creator of everything, and he's given you whatever it is that you have. And you can say, no, I earned it myself. But remember the thought process, how did you do that? How did you earn it? Well, I worked with my hands. Where'd you get those? That, you have to go back to the creator if you're talking about the, uh, the gaining of, of property. And so the cause was God. The effect is that you have what you have. And so that becomes a new cause. I have what I have, and I give it with an effect that God backfills us. And he does. And we're going to talk about the promises in the New Testament, the, the epistles of the Apostle Paul, about Christian giving because they're pretty clear. They're really straightforward. And shysters, hucksters, false teachers have seized upon some clear principles from the Bible, added some stuff to it, and now you have a satanic distortion of the gospel. The answer, the, the summary message really is that you can't outgive God, that it's reciprocation. It's not a linear giving. I have this, I give it to him, as we said last time. It's a loop. He gave to me, I'm giving back to him. He gives to me, I give back to him. It's reciprocation. And that's a life of faith and a life of worship. And that's really where we're headed if we think about it. So if you'll turn your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 4. I'm just, I'm just scooping the cream off of the epistles where Paul addresses this toward the end of his epistles, several epistles, about uh, Christian giving. Philippians, I keep thumbing past it. How many chapters in the book of Philippians and Paul's letter to the Philippians? Four. We're in chapter four. We're at the end. It's almost the last words of the book because the topic of giving occurs in this section because Paul is writing to say, thank you, I've received the gift that you sent. 
One of the key reasons we have the book of Philippians and the high Christology of Philippians 2 and the encouragement to walk in the power of the Spirit and all that we do in Philippians 2, for example, 12 and 13. The reason for the riches that we have in part through the, through the, the doctrines of Philippians historically is because Paul is saying thank you for the gift of the Macedonians to the ministry of the gospel. So you have to understand that context, right? That's all about money. They, they didn't give chickens. They sold chickens and got money and gave money. And because money is what? Money is an easy method. It's a medium of exchange, we say. It's an easy method to turn our productivity and our labor into something that can be uh, transported and transmitted. That's all it is. That's all it is. And I'm not a money theory person. I have friends that are money theory people. And as they start talking about money theory, my eyes kind of glaze over and I start to think about something else. And then something grabs my attention. And, and I, I don't know money theory. I, I've tried. I took a course in economics once, but honestly, it was a required course. So I, I know un, enough about what the Bible says about it to have a biblical view of it. Um, but um, but I just, I don't want to, uh, to get into the theories about, uh, about where money came from or what it is or all of these things. I know we can talk about the gold standard and silver is a good hedge and there's Bitcoin and all the stuff. And they're about to take the money away and issue electronic money. And that's going to be uh, even easier to destroy us than we have now with the fiat currency. I guess I know a couple of things. Anyway. The, the money thing in Philippians is they had it, God, because God had given it to them through their labor. And then what they did with it, they gave it to Paul. And they gave it to Paul so that he could conduct the work of the gospel. For example, sending out letters to all the churches in the Mediterranean world, and that takes money. That's the internet of that day, and it cost money to have the connection, which was runners, people that went on those roads, and they needed support to go do that. And so we are actually benefiting today from the Philippian money. Today, they gave money to Paul. We know Jesus is God in the flesh. Philippians 2, 5 through, um, through 11. And his pattern is our pattern. And he's in the very morphe or form or essence of God. And there's no question after Philippians 2 if Jesus is truly divine. And I know that because the Philippians gave money. And that's the historical setting. So there's my, up, my, my summary. Let's just parachute into the paragraph Chuck, in verse 15, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving, but you alone. The manner of giving and receiving. Did you hear that's almost pointing at the loop? God gave to them and they received it. And then they gave to Paul and he received it. And God gave to them and they received it. And they gave, that's a loop. It's a, it's, it's reciprocal with God. And you have to remember that whenever you talk about Christian giving. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. See, Paul thinks spiritually in terms of they have given a lot, but you can't outgive God. So greater and greater blessing comes to them. And it is cause and effect with God. That's really the point we want to make sure we understand. But I have, and the New American Standard says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you've sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Epaphroditus, what, what kind of name is Epaphroditus? Well, Aphrodite's in there. It's religious, but not Christian religious. 
It's like Apollos. Ever think of who Paul's associate Apollos is? What's that name, Apollos? Well, the S on the end is just the Greek um, uh, inflection. The guy's name is Apollo. Like they named him after Apollo. Not the guy in Rocky, the, you know, the, 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 the god of wisdom in the Greek pagan system. They're using these names. He did. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. No question. Absolutely. But he isn't a worshiper of Apollo. Maybe his parents were, but he's not. See, these are first-generation Christians. And, um, and Paphroditus, named after Aphrodite, he is also um, a, 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 a first-generation Christian, apparently. And we all came from somewhere. I had a friend in, uh, in school named Muhammad. And he's the only kid I ever knew in East Texas because he was like a, he moved in. He was like a, an immigrant to Texas, not from the foreign country. But anyway, Muhammad worshiped on Ramadan. He would dry heave during the day on the Ramadan, just make sure we all knew he was fasting. And, uh, I didn't see Muhammad. We, he heard the gospel, I'm sure, a gazillion times from all those Baptists in East Texas. And... Um, he heard me say it because he was in my class, and I said it out loud a couple times on, on, in front of a microphone. Anyway, um, 15 years later, whatever, we get back for our class reunion. I haven't seen him since then. And, and I'm like, hey, Muhammad. He's like, no, it's Mo. Because I'm a Christian. And how did that happen? Well, the gospel. Beautiful thing. Anyway, uh, that's Epaphroditus. He's a Christian, even though he's named after Aphrodite. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So their offering is a fragrant aroma to God, and God is going to supply their needs. And then the doxology, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And you might think I read through that pretty fast because now I want to read it slow. Lee, slowly. The Philippian gift is described in verse 18. And please bear with me for a little technicolor, a little uh, intense detail. Do Americans like detail? Do we? Have you watched a movie on a VHS in a while with a tube TV? I mean, if you're a movie person, if you watch the screen. So those of you that don't, this doesn't help you at all. But those that do, if you've been watching HD football and you go back to before HD football, we like detail. We like to see the little um, high, high definition. And that's what I'm trying to do here with, uh, with the language when we go to the original that Paul said. So let me put some technicolor in the detail. He says, now in the present tense, I uh, receive, I receive uh, in full. I receive everything and I abound. Present tense means these are the things that are going on now. And apparently that's how you would say it when you write back to someone and say, we would say, I got, I received the gift. And that's what my Bible translates. But he says, I receive. I am, am by this apparently saying, I got it. This is a statement of receipt. In full, everything and perisuo. This is one of your key words in the New Testament for what God wants to do with you. It could be just translated to abound to abound. And we can throw a hoop air in front of it, super abound. And it means to, to have more than you need. It means to have more than you need. It means I need, we're going to need a bigger boat. Okay. I mean, it, it's Jesus said, let, the, let the, the nets down on the other side of the boat and then the nets start breaking. This is, this is a, a pattern God has. When he fed the 5,000, did he, did, he didn't do like you and I would do. What's a, what's a serving? Two fish and five loaves. So everybody gets a communist, two fish and five loaves. Isn't that what Jesus did? No. He just kept multiplying until everybody's got it coming out. Everybody, I can't eat any more of this awesome 
fish and bread that Jesus made, and he made it. And the baskets of extras are overflowing, I guess, with the chicken food or whatever. All the fragments left over, they have baskets. God superabounds. He's, he's not uh, kidding when David said, my cup runneth over. And, and this is what he says, I, I abound. And then he says, I have been made full. Peplerao. I have been made full. This is in your perfect tense, and I'll bring it out. It's completed past action, present results, and the time of the speaker, in this case, emphasizing the present results. I have it. I, I am full. I have been made full. And then he says, in the aorist, having received from Epaphroditus the things from you, the what? The, I'll put a word in there because we do that in English. You've got to have something to go with the, the gift, the thing you sent. It just, and in Greek, they just say the, the thing, the things from you. And then Paul describes their gift. And this is where I want to kind of hang out because you might ask, what does it mean to be a believer priest? Uh, it's one of the great doctrines we recovered in the Reformation because you, I'm not the priest, we are the priesthood in a new order, not a warmed-over Levitical priesthood, going back to the Old Testament, trying to superimpose that on the church, but Jesus as our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And what order is that? He's the king of Salem, but he's also the priest of God. And so the king is the priest, Judah and Levi together, if you will. That's the new priesthood. And Jesus himself is the sacrifice of this priesthood, but we priests under Christ bring in Hebrews 13 a sacrifice of praise. And Paul thinks of their giving as an offering in that sense. They're bringing this sacrifice. And what does he call it? He calls it a good smell, a smell that is iodia, uh, uh, good, uh, pleasing, fragrant. A fragrant aroma is uh, how we'll generally translate this. Athusion, that is the word for a sacrifice, especially in the Septuagint, looking back to the Levitical offerings. This is a sacrifice. You're giving to God in the ministry of the gospel that goes to the hands of the person, in this case, who's sharing the word with you. The giving to God in the gospel is a sacrifice. It's considered a sacrifice that is dektos, that is acceptable, or dekte. It's acceptable sacrifice. Wait. It's acceptable. You get what you get. I'll do what I'll do. That's not the attitude we approach with God. God, we have the fear of the Lord, and we want to be pleasing to Him as our greatest ambition because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. And then he says, well-pleasing to God. What is the offering that the Philippians gave? It's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Is this part of your life? It's the part of the Philippians' life, and we're benefiting from it today. What an amazing legacy that their sacrifice and offering to God in the gift of money to the ministry of Paul is an acceptable sacrifice while pleasing to God. I want my substance to be in a category that God says has eternal value. In verse 19, the follow-on result, the effect of that cause that they gave the sacrifice and offering to God and their gift to the ministry of the gospel. There's a promise that's the follow-on. And in the, this, is, this is indicated by this little particle here. And all you English readers, you can see this word. And you, you, I'm going to teach you a Greek word right now. That word right there is de. If you're in French, it's de, but we don't say it in French. We say de. 
It's an E, and not a U. So, so what is, what, do you see the D? Well, it looks like a lowercase D. It's a D. It's a delta. And that looks like a backwards three or an a, a, a artistically rendered E. But it's a lowercase E. That's the epsilon. Delta epsilon says de. Well, now we know that. What do we do with that? If he says one more Greek word, I'm okay. This word, I'll even throw another word at you. It's post positive, but you can worry about what that means some other time. It means it's the second word in the sentence. Isn't that clever? Oh, the second word in the sentence, let's call it post positive. That's education. All right, so, <laughs> so what this word does is it structures Paul's discussion. It structures what Paul's saying. De is the structure marker that says, when Paul uses it generally in, a, in, in argumentative literature or, or making the case kind of stuff that he does in his epistles, it's advancing his discussion. It takes the flow of what he said and said, and furthermore, and the next thing. Sometimes I'll translate de as furthermore. Sometimes your Bible will render it as and, and sometimes it'll say but, and you say, well, wh- which is it? Is it and or but? It's a structure marker that advances, and sometimes by contrast, and sometimes by not a strong contrast. And what did I, what did I say? I said now, advancing. Now, and, and I'm able to explain and talk over what I did in my translation. The now is, doesn't mean like uh, temporally now. I mean, it's a way of saying in English, Let's advance to the next thing we're going to talk about. Now, hatheos mu, my God, will play rao. He will fill up. Your Bible translates supply. That's an okay gloss for this word. But play rao is a word that we think is really important. And I think it's important to know that he uses that word here. Play rao is the word in Ephesians 5.18 for what the Holy Spirit does with us. Be filled by means of the Spirit. It's this word play rao. Now, I don't mean that he's talking about the filling of the Spirit here. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's the same word. And so that kind of jumps out because I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm a word nerd. But plerao, to be filled, or in this case, to he will fill up. It's a future indicative. And what that means, this is also an education thing. The future tense means it's going to happen in the future. And I say that because... Um, it's the tense in Greek that is most clearly about the time that's going to happen in the future. He will do this. And that's why I'm saying it's a promise. And my God will fill up, will play rao, all of your crayon, all of your crea, all your needs, your crea, every need that you have. And my God will fill up all of your needs. This is Psalm 23 stuff. This is Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom and all these things that you need will be added to you. And that's the deal. And I know you can opt out of it. You can say, I don't want to be part of that deal. I'll just make my living and do what I want with my money and thank you very much. But discipling, being God's man, being God's woman in your life with your resources, you definitely want the one who has everything, who's the heir of all things, who's made you a fellow heir with Christ so that you will inherit all things with Jesus. You definitely want him to be saying, my God will fill up all your needs. Now he's talking in historical context to the Philippians. He has the prophetic ability to say, I know what God's going to do because God tells him 
he has thoughts that, that are revelation from God. He's got a prophetic gift. He knows this is true of the specific instance, but I think he's also teaching us a principle that God backfills you because you're doing with your resources what he wants you to do. He wants you to give it to him however you give it to him. He wants you to give it to him so that he can fill you back up and you give him some more. And it's reciprocal. And it, remember that thing. It's not, a, it's not linear. I got it. I gave it. I don't have it. It's a loop. God gave it to me, so I have it. I give it to him, and then he gives it to me, and I give it to him. And you could say, I, what's the point? That doesn't get us anywhere. It's relationship. I'm giving in faith. I'm trusting him as I do it. That's the heart of Christian giving. It's my relationship with God. And I don't, it doesn't mean that's the only way I have a relationship with God, but it's a big one. It's a big part of your relationship with God that you have anything that he's providing for you, that he's filling up your needs. And what way will he do it? According to the, the riches, his wealth, plutocracy, P-L-O-U-T-O-S, plutos, the word for wealth or riches. A plutocracy is where the rich people rule. Like we've never seen anything like that. Um, uh, this is the word for wealth. His wealth in glory in Christ Jesus. His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is the promise. Now the challenge to me and you is do we believe this? One challenge I had when I first worked through this, I had had a lot of exposure to the shysters and the hucksters that have taken this concept and said something that it's not saying, right? That, um, that if you're a real Christian, then you should be wealthy. Like, you should have a good experience in life. You should have your best life or whatever. And I, our best life is walked, walking by the Spirit day by day, whatever our circumstances are, as Paul might be in prison in this case. But my God will fill up all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I believe that. I believe that uh, the widow's might, when she gave all that she had, was a, an act of reciprocation. She gave what God had given her. And she gave more than everyone else because she gave all that she had, Jesus said. But she didn't give and then starve. She didn't give all that she had and then starve. She gave all that she had and she received. And we don't get, listen, we don't give in order to receive. That's the problem we do with, with our carnality. In our flesh, we say, well, I'll give so that I can get more because that's the magic of this promise. It's not magic. It's not sympathetic magic. You're not working God. You're not rubbing a genie. If you give like that, I expect you to go bankrupt. I hope you do. So you learn because why waste your life on stuff and money and, and, and these things? Now, we don't give in order to receive. We give because we have received. We give in gratitude because we have received. And, and some of you are also thinking, I, I don't like this backfill idea because I'm not giving for that reason. Yeah, you're not. You're giving in faith that in this giving, he's equipped me and I glorify him with the opportunity. And then he's going to set me up to continue to do it. And I'm going to trust him. I don't have to worry. Well, will I have something to give next time? You will. You will. Don't worry. That's the idea. It's faith. It's faith giving. If God wants to heal me, he can from whatever my illness is. I don't think faith, faith in Christ means that I have to say he will if I want him to. Faith, faith in God for healing is that he can, really. But I think he will do this. And the reason I give is because he gave, not because I will receive. Can you, hold, can you be disciplined that way? Can you hold that thought? He's saying, I'm looking back at the cross and not forward to the more. 
Now it's time for a story. One of my favorite adages I got at West Point was, I try not to throw West Point stories at you very much because it's really a short period of my life and um, people think more of it than they should sometimes and other people don't know what it is. And so, but it was a fun thing and I'm really excited to do it. And we had this really cool thing called plea boxing. For some reason they think that what you need to do is uh, start learning calculus and then start getting hit in the head. And uh, it's a great combination of things. And uh, you might say, but, but you might get a concussion. And I did. I got a concussion in plea boxing. That's a, that's a real thing. Uh, like I told you, I don't know which words to pick sometimes because I think that's how it affected. Anyway, so the point, the point is um, <laughs> there I was in plea boxing. One of my favorite things that the, uh, the military uh, coaches, they're called uh, the Department of Physical, Ed- Physical Instruction, DMI, DPI. These guys are, a lot of them are army officers that have studied physical education for their master's degree, and they're back to the school to teach it. So the boxing coach, I, I don't remember his name, but he, he had a great little line. He said, now you're going to, part of the purpose of this course is that you learn to take a punch. I learned that. <laughs> but, uh, but you learned, oh, I'll tell you about the mono some other time. But, but I learned it, uh, the, the mono to concussion in boxing. That's what that was. I had mono. And, and anyway, um, you don't want to box with mono. That's, that could kill you. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, so there I was um, in plea boxing. The coach said that um, we're going to teach you all these techniques and we're going to learn jabs and crosses and hooks and, and uppercuts. And maybe you'll get to uppercuts, probably not, but we'll do jabs, crosses, and hooks. And you're going to learn to train. You're going to learn to fight and you're going to do four graded bouts and you're going to learn to take a punch. You're going to learn to give a punch. And the, the lesson that's the most important lesson in plea boxing is that if you want to give you must be willing to receive. And I, I, th- I thought, that sounds like something that somebody would say from the Bible. Because as the Lord said, Paul says, it's better to give than to receive. Is that Paul or Peter? Maybe that was Peter. Anyway, but the, but the coach flipped it. He said, if you want to give, you must be willing to receive. And that's because if your hand can reach the other guy's head, then there's a simple mathematical reality that his hand can reach your head unless there's a really strange reach differential. And by the time I, I tried that out, there were guys my weight that were much shorter and had much shorter arms. They were the most dangerous people to box for me. They would get inside, and I couldn't get away from them. And it was, yes, sir, yes, sir, I will take as many uppercuts as I can before I can back out and start using my range again. It was very frustrating to buy. There was one guy specifically, I think I could see his face right now. I'm not going to name him, uh, but uh, uh, um, he, he was, I definitely didn't want to box him for record. Anyway, um, if you want to give, you must be willing to receive is the concept in boxing. I think I would go there with giving. It's kind of the inverse of the idea. If you want to give in boxing, you have to be willing to receive. Remember that idea. If you ever, this is out of, uh, this is part of something that we get in Galatians. You know, if you bite one another, be careful lest you're devoured by one another. If you're going to hit, you can be hit. It's a simple thing. The best way avoid punch not be there, say Mr. Miyagi. I mean, that's really the wisdom of, of violence and escalation. If you can, if you can, if you're going to, if you're going to punch, you're going to get punched. Now, I have lots of boxing stories, but uh, we'll, we'll leave that off because it, it only boxed for a few weeks there in, in the course. But what I want to show you, though, is in this reciprocation with God, you're giving not in order to receive. You're giving because you have received. You're giving because you have received. We don't work 
in order to be saved. We work in the Spirit and walk in this life of discipleship because we are saved. That's grace. Grace has already been given. I'm walking in it. And grace is really where the word for thanksgiving comes from as you watch uh, the New Testament develop. We've already received it. So we have a promise from God. In Philippians 4.20, now to our God and Father be glory unto the ages of the ages. Literally, it says to the ages of the ages, my Bible may say forever and ever, forever and ever. Yeah, to the ages, the Iona, the ages of the ages, amen. This is Philippians 4.20. I want to share also with you from the book of Galatians. Paul's first letter is to the Galatians where he's not telling them thank you. Actually, he's asking them, where is your brain? Um, in the book of Galatians because they've left the gospel of grace for a gospel of works. And in Philippians 6, he's giving summary. It's again at the end of the epistle. There's only six chapters in, in Galatians. And at the end of the epistle, the apostle Paul is telling them some summary uh, life responsibilities like bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. After talking about grace and not legalism, he then helps us know that we are under the law of Jesus, which is to love one another as I've loved you, a new commandment in John 13. But that's, that's Galatians 6 too. And so he has these summary commands for Christian life. And in verse 6, we'll, we'll start in verse 6. Galatians 6, 6. The one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Obviously a passage I am very comfortable talking about with you since I am teaching the word. So it, this is really awkward all of a sudden. But no, this is what Paul said to the Galatians, and we'll let, we'll let it land. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. There's your, there's your adage. There's your proverb or wisdom to this. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Everybody know what we're talking about sowing? Not S-E-W, right? Uh, S-O-W, planting seeds. You get the crops that you plant. Plant corn, you get corn. Plant tulips, you get tulips. That's the idea. You get what you plant. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are the household of the faith. This verse, this passage, is so beautifully paraphrased that when you see what the interlinear sort of, what the Greek looks like, you say, please give us the New American Standard paraphrase, because it's, very, it's really challenging in places. In verse 6, but he is to koinoneo, to fellowship. This is koino the verb for koinonia, for having in common. So your Bible says share, but it's koinoneo. It's the word for fellowship in 1 John, to have fellowship with God, to have fellowship with one another. Koinonia, it's the common. Koine Greek is the common Greek that everyone was speaking. They all had it in common. Fellowship or to share in common. Okay, and this is the one who is, who is uh, catechized, the one who is receiving instruction, the one who is taught, ton logon, the word, and he's supposed to do this with the one who teaches in all good things. And I think this is a classic Hebraic construction. It looks like uh, what you might see in the Psalms or in one of the prophets in their poetry. Because in the middle, the one who taught, the one who teaches, on the outside, sharing in common good things. And that's the order in Greek. And this sentence 
is so convoluted to our English mind. This is why I first learned a diagram Greek because it's so hard to follow what the subjects and verbs are. But in your, in your uh, hopefully you can see, you're to fellowship in all good things with the, with the one who teaches the word. The one who has taught the word is to do this. That's the idea. And the, the core is the reciprocation, the word. It's reciprocation in the word. Um, so I'm not taking your time. See, I, this is my philosophy of ministry. I don't come up here and then take your time. And we, I've had people ask me that were kind of new to the word and new to being taught. They're like, what else do I have to do? I have to sit here for an hour? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> you don't have to sit here for an hour at all. <laughs> but um, what I'm doing is giving something. That's what I, how I consider it. So I don't, I don't have any heartburn about receiving because we're, we're reciprocating. And that's the ministry of the gospel that Paul is teaching us. I think I'm, try, I'm trying to be thoroughly Christian and therefore Pauline. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. That's your summary. Uh, pro- well, that's good. We're not going to reject God. For whatever, whatever, I put it like that, whatever, he sows a man, anthropos, a human, this he will reap. That's a simple statement. Plant a pecan tree, get pecan trees. Plant a pecan, you get pecan tree. I know there's a process for getting a tree to grow that involves seedlings and stuff, but I'm just saying you don't get a raspberry bush, you get a pecan tree. Some of you are wondering what a pecan is. You call it a pecan, but it's not. It's a pecan. Um, And I I know because it's the state tree of Texas, and so we can call it, we can tell you what to call it. It's a pecan. You can tell me what to do with nutmeg, but it's, anyway. So, um, all right, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows. This is what he'll reap. Do you believe that? I believe that's a principle. And then he says, because the one who sows unto his flesh, from his flesh he will reap corruption. So if, 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 you, if you do the sin thing and it's about you, you're going to get what is in you. That's the idea, the sin, the flesh. But, if, but the one who sows unto, and I'll capitalize the penuma, the spirit, from the spirit he'll reap eternal life. Now you could say, well, I already have eternal life. Thank you very much. I'm a believer in Jesus. You told me I don't get saved by giving, so um, I don't know how this applies. Reaping eternal life is all that God wants to give you of himself. Remember, the definition Jesus gave us for eternal life, one definition, is to know the only true God. How do you know God? Through his word. So we have to share in the word. And that's what we're doing. It's knowing God through his word. So that, this is the idea of, um, of wealth. So what do you want to harvest? What do you want to gain? Do you want to reap sin and uh, self? Or do you want to reap the things of God and the Spirit? That's really the, the principle. And so, but the good thing, now this is where it gets really tough to translate. But the good, the attractive, the beautiful, that kind of word for good, kalos, the good doing, not let us become discouraged. Well, this is a lettuce command, as I call it. It's a command in the first person plural, we, us, we. And it's, it's translated let us because it's a hortatory subjunctive. It's a command that the author includes himself in. And you have them all through the book of Hebrews. And Paul uses them some, not as much. But the good thing, let us, the good thing doing, let us not become discouraged. Or as your Bible says, let us not become discouraged in doing, well-doing. For, oh, for in its own time or his own time, one's own time. Your Bible says the appointed time. I have suggested in God's time 
because you have to in- interpret the idios, one's own. In one's own appointed time, we will reap not growing weary. And I think that they're translating because we're not growing weary or if we don't grow weary, that's fine. You got to interpret your participles. I've always said that. You have to interpret your participles. <laughs> but notice what he's saying. He's saying there's, there's a time factor. There's an endurance factor, right, to, to the work. And in this context, the doing of good is the sharing of all good things. The doing good is, I mean, it is good works to give to the ministry of the gospel. It's good works. But don't weary and look for the, look for the harvest. I believe that this is a promise. In your own time, you will reap, not growing weary. So then while we have time, kairos, same word as before, and your Bible translates opportunity, but while we have time, and he uses that as a hinge, which doesn't come out in your English Bible, while we have time, let us, ere gods am I, let us work. Oh, Lord God, let us work. Don't let us say, I've got grace, I don't work. No, you don't work for your salvation. You work out your salvation. You're saved unto a life of works. You're saved, uh, let's do Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. Only faith in Jesus Christ. And that salvation by grace through faith is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not from your works, so that you and I cannot boast about our salvation. Any man should boast, for we are his workmanship. That means he made us new. In Christ Jesus, where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, he made you twice. You're made in his image when you're born. Uh, after the flesh, you're made new when you're born again. He made us in Christ, created us in Christ Jesus unto good works that he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Ephesians 2.10, you've got to understand, we're not saved by works, we're saved for works. But works, yes, let us work. The good, the not the kalos, the agathos, the intrinsic value good. There's two words in Greek for good, kalos and agathos. They're synonyms. One is looking at good like it's attractive. The other is good like it has inherent value. And they're both used synonymously in the passage. And I think it's cool that he does it. It's a little vocabulary lesson from Paul. Let us do the good thing, the good, that which pleases God for all. We do good for all. All, I'll put people. I put people, it doesn't say people, it says all. I should put this in italics, people. And malista, malista, especially for those of the household of the faith. So this would be believers in Jesus. There's two kinds of people, those in the household of the faith and those that aren't. There's two people. There's not more more kinds of people. There's lots of roads. No, there's one way in, it's Christ. There are people that have walked through that door and people that haven't, have you? I mean, whenever Paul makes that distinction, I'd like to bring it out. Do you have the son so that you have the life so that you're of the household of the faith? Or are you the all people like everybody? But do we take care of unbelievers? Do we care for unbelievers? Do we, do we provide? Yeah, yeah, it's the gospel. The most important thing we do for unbelievers is share Christ. Do we give them a sandwich? Yes, but we better be telling them the gospel. Fill their stomach while you're telling them in their heart about Jesus and ask God to bring that conviction. But we do good for all especially those of the household of the faith. And so notice he started with those that teach and he expanded everybody. I noticed that. Well, that's Galatians 6, and we're out of time. I wanted to do one last thing on giving. Next time, I promise, we will talk a little bit about the passage, um, the core passage on this in 2 Corinthians 9. We'll do a, a little bit more summary on that. And I want to encourage you, please hang out. 
We have a coffee break set up for you downstairs that will involve spilling coffee on each other and, um, and also being encouraged and smiling. You don't have to go downstairs. You can stay up here. You might find me. if you st- I'll, I'll try to bounce around, but we have a break, and we we'll encourage people to stay for it. We also, next hour, are going to serve the Lord's table. We're going to proclaim Christ's death as a church family uh, until Jesus comes back. He hasn't come back yet, right? He's still here. So we're going to continue to proclaim his death until he comes, and that's what we do as a family uh, of, of the faith um, second hour, first Sunday. And then uh, we have a special message about where this church family is going in its physical ministries, in the ministry of this building, and what, um, what we're looking at after a lot of effort by some of our number um, considering this. So we really want you to hang out for second hour and uh, catch the vision of what God uh, is doing with us as a, as a body of believers. Our Father, we thank you for eternal life, for the privilege we have to, um, to give to you. We've given of our time and attention. We've heard your word. We've given the word. We've um, been about your work in many ways this week, and we praise you for the capability to do it. Uh, Father, just as your son prayed that you would glorify him with the glory he had before the world was with you, that you would bring glory to him so that he could bring glory to you. Father, we want to join in that reciprocation. We ask that as we provide as we give, as we worship you in giving, that you would backfill us so we could give more. Father, we do what we do in faith. We want our lives to count eternally. And we ask that as we trust you, you would glorify yourself through our lives and our choices. We, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.